If you're struggling to attract new staff or your team is experiencing burnout, pick up your phone and call Guardian Vets. Through virtual team solutions like after-hour triage, daytime virtual receptionists, callbacks, and telemedicine, Guardian Vets can help you have happy staff, happy clients, and a thriving business. Go to www.guardianvets.com and check Veterinary Success Podcast in the Where Did You Hear About Us section to get a free consultation and receive 50% off your first month of service. Don't wait. Check out GuardianVets.com now. Welcome to the Veterinary Success Podcast. I'm your host, Isaiah Douglas. We're going to hit our sponsors here in just a second, then jump into the episode. But before we do, make sure you stick around throughout the end of the interview and check out the show notes for great opportunities for associateships, partnerships, and more. If you're a practice owner, you want to find great people, and you want to list a job opportunity or just looking for certain things that your peers out there that are veterinarians could benefit from, feel free to shoot me an email. Isaiah at veterinariansuccesspodcast.com. I will do my best to get those up at the end of different episodes. There's no charge for that. My role, my job is to connect good people with good people. So with that, we will hit our sponsors and be right into the interview. If you're struggling to attract new staff or your team is experiencing burnout, pick up your phone and call Guardian Vets. Through virtual team solutions like after-hour triage, daytime virtual receptionists, callbacks, and telemedicine, Guardian Vets can help you have happy staff, happy clients, and a thriving business. Go to www.guardianvets.com and check Veterinary Success Podcast in the Where Did You Hear About Us section to get a free consultation and receive 50% off your first month of service. Don't wait. Check out guardianvets.com now. Why do most banks always seem to be impersonal, slow to answer questions, or give you the runaround on getting money needed for your dreams? Enter Panacea Financial. Panacea Financial, a nationwide digital bank built for doctors by doctors. Whether you're a veterinarian in training, practice owner, or aspire to be one, someday, Panacea Financial is designed specifically for you. It was started by two doctors who were frustrated in working with banks and so started their own to serve their community. With common sense lending guidelines and fast decisioning, they have helped doctors all across the country start, grow, and acquire their dream practice. Looking to buy into a practice, Panacea helps doctors with practice buy-in loans that are funded in a matter of days, not weeks, or months. If you're ready to join the thousands of doctors nationwide who have declared independence from traditional banks, visit PanaceaFinancial.com today to see how they can get you started with your dreams. Panacea Financial is a division of Premise, member FDIC. Have you ever walked into a space and thought, wow, this is beautiful? There's a reason for that. Architecture has this innate ability to impact emotions and perceptions. My friends at Apex Design Build bring beautiful and functional spaces for veterinarians nationwide. Apex is a fourth generation family run company that is fully integrated from the design, architecture, and construction process. They help you mitigate risks, eliminate surprises, save money, save time, and reduce the effort on your project. Check out their amazing work and have access to their square footage calculator to help you plan your expansion or new build. Click the link in the show notes for an exclusive offer and learn more about Apex Design Build. Finding a job or finding a veterinarian shouldn't be a waste of time. Enter an offer first. Paul Diaz and team have created something really special with offer first. Some of my favorite reasons are as follows. Candidates and employers will both have values aligned on the first step, not the last. The sign-up process, quick and simple, no resume required. So if you're looking for a job, but you aren't really sure, it's as easy as scrolling on Zillow for a home. And finally, if you have a great match, it's based on your each unique requirements, not random keywords. If you want to learn more, listen to episode 179 with Paul Diaz. We cover all of that. The other exclusive great thing that you're going to get from this ad read and from Paul is I convinced him to give an exclusive discount to listeners of this podcast. So for owners, you're getting a 20% discount on both the placement of any candidate, but also access to the platform. Use VSP if you go to offer first, or the easiest way is a link in the show notes. So check it out. Associates, those looking for a job, same thing. Use the link in the show notes. Use VSP if you go directly to offer first. But I will donate and Paul will donate to a veterinary nonprofit of your choosing. So each person that signs up gets a vote. Your votes actually count, which is incredible. And so I'll be reaching out. I will handle that. But there's going to be a donation made for any associate or any job seeker that adds on the platform. We want to make sure that not only does the platform help to make sure that you find a better fit, better culture, better role, but it's also doing good in veterinary medicine. Okay, so 
link in the show notes going to take you to offer first. It's going to automatically apply that, but also use code VSP if you go to offer first directly. And offer first is changing the game of veterinary recruiting. I want each and every one of you to benefit from it. So check them out today. All right. Today on the show, I'm joined by Dr. Haley Gentile. Haley is the owner of Newport Veterinary Hospital in beautiful Newport, Vermont. Haley is also the president of NEVMA. Haley, this has been long overdue. I've been looking forward to this, but great to have you on the podcast and thank you for carving out some time. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I know that we've been talking about it a while, but I've been a little busy. (laughs) Yeah, been a little busy. So I think that's actually a, a great kind of natural starting point is for those that maybe don't know you, your journey within veterinary medicine has been anything but like linear, like most people's life. Like it's not like a straight, like, oh, it goes to this and this. It's a little lumpy, right? Yeah, a little lumpy. And practice ownership had always been a big thing that you wanted to do, one of those big goals. And it maybe took a little longer, but it's here. And I would love for you to kind of walk through. It doesn't have to be, it can be as detailed because you know this podcast is longer or as short as you want to make it, but kind of walk us through your veterinary medicine story to where you're at today as an owner of a hospital. I can do that. Absolutely. It is a winding road and we could talk a long time about just that. But what I will say, I think the most important things are I am a cradle veterinarian, as they say. I have the kindergarten bulletin board pictures to prove it that say future veterinarian. I just always wanted to be that. I even had people say, oh, you should have a backup plan. And when I told them my backup plan was being a human ER doctor, but I didn't really want to do that, they're like, "Mm, maybe you should have another backup plan. (laughs) I said, well, what I really want to be is a veterinarian, and I think I'll just do that. So I did do like health science class and health science club in high school and actually went to national competition for veterinary assisting. And that was cool. And I went to Utah State, who now have a vet school after all these years. But when I went there, they did not have a vet school. And I did not get into vet school on my first try or my second try. I got in on my third try. And that came with its own set of reasons why, but I think always you end up where you are supposed to. So I ended up moving to Washington State and establishing residency to get the best financial plan together for me to go to veterinary school because I did not come from any sort of money. My parents were very supportive and they told me I could always be whatever I wanted, but that I would be paying my own way to get there. So Finances were always important to me. I loved my education at Washington State University. I love the school and what they stand for. A lot of, they call them soft skills, but I think they're super important, those communication skills. And then I moved to Vermont from Washington State right out of veterinary school. Quick plug for those of you in veterinary school, take that summer off. I don't care if you don't think you can afford it. You'll never have three months of your own time to do that. So I drove around the country for two and a half months before my allotted budget ran out because the price of gas went way up, but it was a great time. So I moved to Vermont and I got a job while I was driving around the country. I did stop in Vermont and I got a job working for a man that I dropped a resume off back in the day when you had walked in and shook somebody's hand and dropped off a printed resume. And I went to the next town I was heading to and got a phone call and talked to this man on the phone. And we both thought about it. And by the time I was halfway back across the country, I decided to accept a job. It did not turn out to be a good decision, but live and learn. So uh, I ended up working for 11 months as an associate in a small animal practice where I thought I was actually going to be hired to work as a mixed animal practitioner, but I never worked a day on the road. So I got fired 11 months in and it was a very big surprise and (laughs) a little shot to the soul. And I thought I was really like on top of the business side of veterinary medicine. And then it was like, wow, I just got fired from my first job. So I had moved out to Vermont to take care of an elderly family member, and I didn't want to uproot her. So I looked around for a job opportunity in my rural area, northern Vermont, which is not an easy place to look around for a job opportunity. And I found out later that my boss was going back around behind me and telling people not to hire me. So that's why I was struggling with it. Again, a blessing in disguise because I did go ahead and 
start my own house call practice. I did always want to own a practice. So I started, wrote a business plan, loaned money from my friend who was also my mechanic here in the Northeast Kingdom, just a little tiny loan in the large scheme of things to get a little business going of my own. And I did that in this rural area. It was really rewarding, but I don't think that I knew that it couldn't support me completely. So I got into relief work and I traveled up to two to three hours one way to do relief work. And I did that house calls and relief work. It was working for me and worked in a practice that I ran my house call practice out of. So I didn't answer my own phones. I had some them answering the phones for me. And in return, I uh, we kind of had a partnership and I would come in and do surgery for her because she didn't like surgery. And I did that for eight years. And then I decided to leave my house call practice behind and I was on a path to partner in a larger practice and that for numerous reasons didn't work out. In the same time that I was finding out that that wasn't really going to work out, I was also in a small rural area where I find out that my colleague that I have worked with and done surgery for now for almost 10 or 11, almost 12 years actually, was very sick very sick to the point where she was not working and her practice, she was a solo practice owner and that practice was going to close. And while it was happening, it felt like a very long time, but we went about negotiating with, I negotiated with her and her family over the period of about four months to purchase the practice assets. And then we spent another year, a little over a year, getting the purchase for the real estate for numerous reasons. But so I became a solo practice owner in my little town in Vermont. That was about a year and seven months ago. Yeah. So you're in seven months ago, and I want to come back to that to just kind of talk about the changes Mm -hmm. that you've seen in the practice. But you talked about maybe being an ER doctor on the human health side. Did you ever want to go into ER medicine within that matter now. I, I thought about it. So initially, again, I came out here to care for an elderly great aunt. I did not think that I was ever going to be a married person. I just thought I was going to be a single person. It just And so when I moved out here to take care of my great aunt who chose the single life for 84 years. She was 79 when I moved out here. I thought, I'll just be here for a few years. She wasn't in the best of health. And then I thought, well, maybe I'll do something I'm adventurous. So I was like, maybe I'll, I don't think I'll ever live in the city long term, but maybe I can just go to New York and hang out for a few years, be an ER vet. That'd be easy in and out. But numerous things happened. And I actually met my husband the year before my great aunt died. He was our boyfriend for a little while and (laughs) he was never going to live in the city. So generally speaking, ER practices are in larger places and my husband's definition of a city is there's big cities like New York City and then there's cities like Burlington and we don't even want to live there. So I knew that it probably wasn't going to be in the cards for me. Not that I didn't want to do it. I actually did practice ER medicine in rural Vermont for a number of years. We had a consortium because we didn't have an emergency hospital. So I did the pager you never guess what's going to come through your door when you're working by yourself and with clients situation for a while, which is certainly not the standard of care these days. But back when I did it, it was what was being done. Just to give everyone kind of an idea, the closest ER practice today from you is what? Two hours. Two hours. Well, the closest 24-hour ER is about two hours from most of my clients. We have, I'll call them a picky urgent care within about 45 minutes to an hour, but they will oftentimes not take many things. And then we do have a true urgent care, but they're only open from 2 p.m. to 10 p.m. daily and 10 a.m. to 10 p.m. on the weekends. So they're not truly a 24-hour center. So it's tough to get people to go that far, but we're training. We're training the best we can because the true standard of care is difficult to meet with me meeting you at the hospital. And as time goes on and 
the evil in the world becomes more. You just never know what you're going to meet when you meet one person one-on-one in the middle of the night. So you acquire the practice. You have a doctor that is passing away that's very sick, that wasn't working in the practice. So there was relief, probably not thriving, would be the estimation of most people. And Mm -hmm. you walk in, the term is the no-low practice, and even on top of the no-low, a no-low, right? So what has that experience been? And and do you want to kind of share what you've seen and what's happened since? I think it's interesting. Yeah, yeah. So I, again, had a relationship with this practice for about 12 or 13 years. Actually, I guess it was more like 13 or 14 years. And so I knew the people that worked there. I knew the employees. They had generally a small staff, a veterinarian that really never wanted to be an owner in the practice. Her story was one all of her own. And I think that's probably a story that many people fall into is that she kind of fell into it and then it was hers and her attempts to sell it never really panned out. So I came into the practice when it, you know, she had been waning in health for a while I was still doing surgery there once a month for her, working my full-time job in the opposite direction, but I just really didn't feel like I could totally, completely separate myself from this practice with looking back on it maybe as a sign. But So I knew the people, and I think that's a little bit different than some situations, but I was... I didn't want to see them lose their livelihood, and I didn't want to see the community lose a practice. Because even though we're rural, there are people here with pets and they deserve quality care. I think what I saw when I got in there was that the quality care that this practice had been known for probably wasn't there anymore just because the veterinarian was burned out and started just not being there. So I came in to probably a little bit of disenfranchised staff that had really just been trying to keep the doors open to keep their jobs, but good quality people that knew me. So I think that made it a little easier. And I called in a bunch of favors. I really did. I called in favors from friends and people that I used to do relief for that were now retired and asked them, hey, I'm trying to hold this together while we try to buy it. And I need vets. And so I had friends that came and worked a day or two. I had a retired veterinarian work more than a few days. And I had a part-time associate who had previously worked at the practice who came back to kind of help me keep it going. And she still works with me today. So it was a matter of, for me, getting the staff on board for a different way or remembering what it might have been like for some of the older staff members when the practice was thriving. And it was trying my best in a time where you can't find veterinarians to find veterinarians to hold it together. We're still only open four days a week, and that's going to change here shortly because I finally found a part-time vet to hire. But it was, from a financials perspective, it was a really good investment. I also you know, can talk about my whole financial journey because that's a, a, a thing all in and of itself, but I did owner finance the practice assets. And you know, it's difficult to show people a NOLO practice in a rural area and and have them think that it's going to make money because on paper it doesn't. But I was able to get a owner financing for the practice assets and we are on track to be producing about three times what the practice was when I bought it a year and seven months ago. Wow. That's awesome. Kudos. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So cool. It's crazy. (laughs) So. And I think it's important because there's been conversations on this podcast many times where it's like to compete with the larger entities out there that have deep pockets that are buying different hospitals, it's really difficult. But if you are willing to go more rural, if you are willing to go kind of away from everything that is, this is the shiny, perfect, everything's in place, right? Mm -hmm. It's, you can find some really good opportunities for ownership where you can still step in and there's people that need care, that want care, they're willing to pay you. And they want good care, believe it or not. I mean, you know, I live in a really, really economically depressed area. And those people are just as well entitled to good care. 
And I try to do the best job that I can and the best job with my staff to say it is not our job to judge what these people have to spend. It's our job to tell them what's best for their pet and then meet them where they can be. And if they can't be at plan A, then maybe we're down to plan C or D or E or F. But we gave them the opportunity to know what was best and more times than you would think they want to do it. I love dentistry and a practice that hasn't been doing a lot of dentistry over the past 10 years. When you show these people these teeth in the exam room and you tell them, hey, this is going to make your pet feel better. And they see the bottom line and they see that that's going to cost them a lot of money. It's sometimes hard, sometimes hard for them to make that jump. But when they do, and then they tell their friends, and then their friends are starting to bring their cats because their cat is a different cat because it's got its mouth fixed. It's kind of like a snowball. I'm here in this rural area and I'm booking out two and a half months to three months for dentistry because I believe in it. And now my clients believe in it and they want it. So it's amazing if you let them choose what you can get. So it can be very financially rewarding. Yeah. And it ties back a little bit to what you talked about to Washington State, right? The softer skills and being able to communicate well. Was that something that you felt like you needed to help incorporate with the team? And then how did you either prompt, push, gently nudge, encourage for them? Because you get so accustomed yeah. to the way it is. How, how do you, how do you right. turn that ship or tweak it? I think it's an ongoing process. And I spent a lot of time in the beginning defining the difference in the roles that they were going to have and the difference in what we were offering and that it wasn't necessarily about the money. Although at some point I had to bring that into the equation that it is about the quality of care, quality care pays for itself. So if we all believe in the fact that these teeth are bad, since we've been using that as an example, if we all believe in the fact that these are bad teeth and these cats and dogs are suffering with these teeth, then it's easier to say, hey, I know this is an investment, but I've seen these pets come back two weeks later or people send us videos of their cat eating the night of the procedure when they've had 29 teeth removed and they already feel like they feel better. So it's kind of getting them to see it. And even in my case, I had some staff come from a previous practice that even had a different standard of care than we did. And I remember the first week she came to work for me and I asked her how things were going. She said, well, it surely is expensive, but I do see the value. So it was uh, not so I'm not sure how she's relaying that to clients, but it ended up saying I see the value and that person no longer works for me, but still brings her pets to me. So I think that she understood the value, even though the price tag might be a little bit higher than they were expecting. What's uh, one or two big lessons that you've learned since becoming an owner? Is there anything that you've learned about yourself or things that you've just thought about from a vet med clinical perspective that's changed? Yeah. Yeah. I think from a positive point of view, Probably the biggest lesson I've learned is that practice ownership was what I wanted to do. And even though it has been challenging, it has been extremely rewarding for myself. And I think also for my staff. I mean, my staff have gotten substantial raises. All the ones that worked for me before or worked for her before I started working there got substantial raises. And I have continued to give good raises. So I think that learning about Taking care of people has been (laughs) one of the biggest lessons that I'm still learning. I mean, it's one thing I knew that I wanted to take care of my staff. It's been another thing to actually walk with them in their lives and learn maybe how to draw that line a little bit, but still be there for them and still help them understand how I need them to be there for the staff and It doesn't always work out. One thing that I have learned is that it doesn't always work out and that's okay. And you have to have those difficult conversations and realize you have to do what's best for the practice as a whole. So, and then probably the other biggest thing that I have learned about 
just being a veterinary medicine and being a practice owner in general is that there are so many ways to do the right thing. There are so many ways that you can go about helping people that just because you think your way isn't being done doesn't mean it's not right. It just probably hasn't been thought of. So that's been good as, as I'm kind of an innovative thinker and doing a couple different things with my staff to try to help them be innovative thinkers. So yeah, I think that's probably the biggest things. <laughs> I was going to ask later on, I'm going to bring it up earlier just because of the talk on innovation. What is maybe that non-consensus or different view that you hold that maybe your other clinical peers wouldn't necessarily agree with? Or like, do you have an example of something that you're like, hey, this is something that I do that's maybe a little different? Yeah, I think there's a lot of things. I think that a lot of veterinarians get into veterinary medicine, even veterinarians my age, maybe in particular, I'm 45. They get into veterinary medicine because of the animals and the analytics. And, you know, if you look at veterinarians across the board, they're introverted. That's not to mean that they can't talk to people. It just means that they draw their energy elsewhere. I am not introverted. I am like extroverted to the core. So I draw my energy from other people. But I think the major thing that is different is, and I don't know if it's just introversion versus extroversion, or if there's more to it than that, is that people, when especially when you talk about generational differences, people want different things from their job. And I think there's a lot of thoughts and a lot of disconnect about people out there that think that their staff doesn't want to work when truthfully what they need is just to figure out what they're passionate about so that they can work for that. And then that will help them be, I think, the worker that you want them to be. So I've been focusing a lot or trying to focus as much as I can. Nothing happens as fast as I thought it was going to because I'm only one person, but And I don't have a practice manager yet. Um, But I want to focus a lot more on really trying to find people's strengths and play to them. When you hire somebody to do something and that isn't working out, can you find a place where it might work out? It's true that maybe it won't work out at all. But spending more, I think, investing in my staff as humans makes them better workers. And I think that that's a different thought process than a lot of people think about. Yeah. Cause you didn't see that in your first role, right? No, <laughs> no, I didn't see that in a lot of roles. I mean, I honestly, even in some of my r- later roles where I really felt like I felt it was different. I also felt it change over time. Everything changes over time, but I feel like, and this is probably where the lines still have to be drawn is that if I can make some personal investments in my staff and their lives that makes them better as humans, then if they want to stay with me, they're going to want to stay with me because they believe in what we're doing, not necessarily because it's a paycheck. And not everybody feels that way about their job. But if you make that one of your core values, if they don't feel that way about their job, then it's not the right fit. And you can go and find another person who does fit. So it's a little bit of a different thought process and still something that's developing. I don't share questions before we do podcasts. We have conversations and I kind of like develop them. But I'm like, man, Haley's like leading me really well. Like I'm not having to steer this at all. This is good. If you can improve the health of an animal, you do it, right? Of course, that's what makes veterinarians special. You're mission driven. My friends at LifeLearn are the exact same way. For over 25 years, they've been partnering with you and your peers, providing affordable, customizable online software solutions. These solutions save time, increase efficiency, and assist in managing all aspects of operations. Why? They wanna help you Improve your partnership with pet owners to improve pet health. LifeLearn has award-winning digital media solutions and are leading the pack as they've prioritized having extensive veterinary knowledge throughout their teams. That difference is seen, it's heard, and it's read by thousands of people across the country. Relax, grow, and thrive with LifeLearn. Click the link in the show notes for an exclusive offer to see how LifeLearn can allow you to get back to what you do best. 
because you have a passion for like teaching and educating, which I think leans into like the human side of like, I want to invest in my team. I want to invest and get to know them. And so I wanted you to talk a little bit about, you've had a passion, obviously with the work with NEVMA about like the next generation of veterinarians, your current peers, like just, can you expand upon your thoughts there? Because you stated something and it's been a while back in conversations that stuck with me, but I don't want to use the same words because that might be the podcast title. So I'm going to, I'm going to leave it out. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, I will say that I never considered myself a very good teacher. I didn't think that that was in my purview. But what I do think that I can do is I can nurture and I can mentor, which I think is different. I want to be truly and honestly involved, you know, having the opportunity to give back to the community that I live in and to the people that I think would be good for this profession. I think the core of it is, is that I love this profession. After almost 16 years, I still love this profession, which isn't, unfortunately, the resounding feeling among veterinarians anymore. And, And for good reason, there are some serious holes in how we take care of ourselves in this profession. But I don't want to discourage people from joining. And so I've kind of taken it on as a personal goal for myself to, you know, when I was in high school, I had a practice that was willing to let me as a high school student go in there and see what was going on. When I was eating a donut and watching my first diaphragmatic hernia surgery, it was solidifying the fact that I'm doing what I want to do. And when the vet said, hey, if you can eat and watch this, that's a good sign. You know, <laughs> wouldn't so, be me. I'd be like, yeah, I got to get out of here. <laughs> got to get out of here. But I want to create those situations. So I've really am working with uh, in our area. We have a health sciences program in one of the high schools, and it is actually run by a veterinarian who was one of my mentors when I first moved here. She has left private practice and runs this program at the high school. She's had a pretty consistent flow of high school students coming in to hang out and see what we do. Some of them are coming knowing they want to be a veterinarian. Some of them are going just to see what it's all about. And I love that. That's where it starts for me is that if I can get these people believing in veterinary medicine, then they can take that to the next steps. And if they can come back and they want to come back while they're in vet school and work with me, that's great too. I do have a veterinary student mentee who I have really tried to create a little bit of a program outside of her school. She was going to school in the heart of COVID. You know, she didn't have any in-person dissection of animals. So, you know, if I can create opportunities for her through cases, through talking, I took her with me. I have a veterinary practice timeshare in the Turks and Caicos. I took her with me there and got her some experience. Give people good opportunities so that they know what's out there, that they know I'm not in the veterinary school yet. I don't have time to be, and but I would like to be. I've always been a big believer in the Veterinary Business Management Association and a big involved person in the Veterinary Business Management Association. So I'd love to get out there and be in the schools. But right now what I can do is I can finish my renovations at my hospital that create a bedroom and a full kitchen and living space in the basement of my hospital. And I can advertise to veterinary students across the nation that they can come to Vermont and see what it's all about, see what it's like to be in a private practice because they're still out there. And after talking to seven students from three different schools last month, at my VMG meeting where we invited some VBMA students to come to our VMG meeting and check it out. These guys are inundated with corporate. That's all they think is out there. They need to know that there are people like me and probably everybody else in my area that are single practice owners that would rather probably sell their practice to another single practice owner or a partnership rather than see it go to a corporate. Not to say that corporate is bad and not to say that corporate doesn't have a place. I just think that these veterinary students came into this meeting with a bunch of independent practice owners because that's what VMG is. And they left saying, we had no idea. We had no idea you guys are out there. 
we don't know. And some of these are VMG practices that are huge. They have three, five different locations. They're still privately owned. So it's out there. And I don't think they know. So my role is to show them that it exists and hopefully show them how cool it can be to build something and or continue something that is already working. Yeah, I love that. And again, that's part of the passion of this podcast too, is trying to illuminate that for veterinary students. And again, it's tricky to know exactly like, okay, how many vet students listen to this episode versus practice owners right. versus industry folks. But right. when I go and am able to chat with VBMA chapters, it's always, you know, who wants to be a practice owner or who's interested, right? Mm -hmm. And it's interesting to see the hands go up or the conversations that happen after when they come up, like, hey, what do you think about this? And it's like, you want to, if there's that itch, you should scratch it and go look. And that's mm -hmm. great. I love that VMG is bringing some students because I think that's really smart. And I think that mm -hmm. should be something that is done more with the various different associations out there that want to support private practice ownership. So it's great. I love hearing that. Yeah. I am very excited that, you know, this is, I mean, I'm not excited that this is her last summer, but my veterinary student goes to University of Glasgow. And when she comes back this summer and leaves at the end of the summer, we won't necessarily see her again until she's graduated. And if all the stars are lined, then she'll come and work for me. And I don't, even care how long if she can just come and if I can entice her to stay and be in this community and love it the same way that I do. She's from this community, but sometimes you want to go out and experience your life. The goal is, I think, to make sure that there is a pipeline of excellent veterinarians servicing this area because this community is worth it. I think that, and I want there to be other people that think that. Yeah. And you've seen that though, with other practices in the year that haven't been able to either find a suitor or have had to close or have had other issues and challenges, right? There's been a couple. Is that? Yes. So in my area is a lot bigger than a lot of other areas, but in my area within a 40 minute drive in the last, since I bought my practice, one other practice has completely closed they were for sale for a while and, in fact, filed for bankruptcy and closed. And there is another practice that is likely closing at the end of the year. They've also attempted to sell and likely will maybe end up selling their real estate, but not being a veterinary practice. It's They're ready to retire. They were ready to retire before COVID and they kept on for COVID and probably had some of the best financial years for them because that's what COVID was for a lot of veterinary practices, but they're ready. They're ready to retire and there's nobody there to take their place. So we are going to go from five single doctor practices to three single doctor practices in two years. It's really not sustainable in that way. I mean, I don't intend to be a single doctor practice. I have a part-time associate. I'm hiring another part-time associate. If I could hire two full-time associates tomorrow, I would. And I would keep the two part-timers. And, you know, I'm expanding my hospital and repurposing space. My hospital was built 50 years ago. And I took the boarding part out and put in two more exam rooms and some office space. Because what we need is to go from two exam rooms to four exam rooms and have the ability to help the community. Because right now... The other single doctor practices in my area are just saying, I'm sorry, we are not accepting new clients. And that leaves these people driving upwards of an hour out, two hours, three hours for basic veterinary care, not to say any kind of urgent care. So well, there's a void to be filled. And I know that my area is not the only one that has that void. You touched on earlier to the organized veterinary medicine, right? So working with VBMA, working with a VMG group, working with any VMA, what have you taken away from those efforts? Because I know a lot of times anything that's like more volunteer related, it can be, it's awesome. And then there's also the, it's a volunteer organization and it's, it's yeah. rough. So I have been an AVMA member since I was in veterinary school. And I always thought that organized veterinary medicine was important. I don't 
think that truly everybody out there understands everything that AVMA does for us. And my path is I have sat on a few committees in AVMA. I have been through the officership in the Vermont Veterinary Medical Association, and I currently am just on the tail end of my officership through the New England Veterinary Medical Association. I'm going to bounce back into AVMA, most likely into the governance side of things and become a delegate. And the thing that I take away from that, that, I mean, there's many, many things, but the networking and understanding what they do for you as a single veterinarian out in the middle of nowhere is I think what the biggest things are. AVMA is out there every day trying to make all-encompassing decisions for a lot of different kinds of veterinarians, but they're out there doing it. They're out there advocating for us and even your state VMAs advocate for you. And, and that's a big part of it. And I, governance has never been my fort. I'm not a politician, but I see the bigger picture and I see the importance of it. And it's not really a secret that I aspire to be the president of the American Veterinary Medical Association someday. And it goes through, I need to know the both sides of the AVMA back and forth. So I'll move into my delegate position and enjoy that for the next eight years and see what the road looks like. I think that there are very many opportunities for people to have their voice heard and not have to put in a whole lot of effort to do it. Being a part of a state or a national VMA gives you a voice. I know that people don't always feel like it does, but if you give it the chance, it does. So I think that's important. So when you announce that you're running, there's another podcast that's going to happen. Uh, from that standpoint. So you got to come back. Well, on. it'll be quite a few I gotta years. I got to keep it running. So that, that that's, a, a, that's a promise, right? So yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's, I'm a driven individual. And it's interesting because when you make your lifelong goal, and it took me a lot longer than I thought it was going to, to get to my lifelong goal of owning my own practice, I thought I would just sit there and think about that and live in that for a while. But I'm already plotting what the next things will be. And I've also just always been driven in organized veterinary medicine. And it just seems like if you want to, I'd like to see more female faces in the leadership and the AVMA. And it's happened over the last 16 years since I've been involved. There are many more female faces, but this face needs to get in there too. Yep. <laughs> she just said something there, Haley, that I want to come back to, which is, you know, lifelong goal, you accomplish it. You felt like you would sit with it, but you're already kind of plotting the next thing. How do you weigh being content and happy where you're at today versus still being, you know, using your words driven for more in the future? That is a very good question that I probably have to sit with my therapist on a while, but um, <laughs> it's easy I to ask the questions, say, right? <laughs> right, right. I mean, I will say though, I am not discontent. I am content in my life and I am very proud of what I have done in my entire career because, you know, you never know what obstacles you're going to have to overcome. But I just feel like there's more. And if I don't accomplish anything else, I will not be a failure. But I feel like me personally, I have the capability and likely in the future, the financials to make a bigger impact. And I think that when you have that opportunity, you should probably take it. Yeah. Thank you. It's a, such a hard question. And so the fact that you even are willing to entertain it versus just the, that's a conversation with my therapist. Let me lie down and uh, think about that for a little bit. So <laughs> oh, I appreciate that. Next week yeah. though, we'll, we'll start unpacking. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. Just send her the clip. Be like, this is where I'm at. So yeah. uh, we'll, we'll go from there. What haven't I asked you about that's on your heart or mind, whether it's around practice ownership, veterinary medicine as a whole. Is there anything that you're like, you know what, this has been you oh, know, kind of bounce around in my brain? Maybe a couple of things, I think. One is that I think that probably five years ago, it was all the buzz. Veterinarians, wellness, managing 
veterinarian wellness and that whole idea that we are still number one for suicide. I think that 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 is always on my heart and I see it still happening at such a, an appreciable rate that I think that's why I want to try to show people from a young age that they can have it and find a balance with it. And it requires, I think, a lot of work on yourself personally. But if I can do something, if I can help save the life of one veterinarian and still have them enjoy the profession, then that would be really amazing. And if it is far more far reaching than that, then that's great too. Is that how can I help in that way? And then I guess the other thing that I am often thinking about is there's a financial component that nobody in veterinarian wants to talk about. I mean, veterinary medicine, we all want to be the people that go into medicine because we don't want to make any money or that's what the profession portrays it as. And that is not what it's about. I mean, it's okay to want to be a veterinarian that makes money. You're a doctor. It's okay to make money. And we're seeing the turn, but I, I kind of almost think that it's going to a dark place. It's like, you have to give me this, otherwise I'm not going to work for you. And if it has to go there, it has to go there. But I'd like to find some happy medium. You know, how can you get into this profession, enjoy what you're doing, work hard, because that's part of it. That's definitely part of it. If you're going to be a practice owner, there's nothing easy about it. The easiest thing is sitting down and signing your life away. That's the easiest thing. Everything else from there is challenging, but it's challenging in a pretty rewarding way to look at somebody like myself who doesn't come from any sort of money. I love my parents to death, but they're high school graduates that went into the military. You know, I was the first one to go to four years of college and then four years more after that and become a doctor. And so what can I do with that? And how can I make the most of that? It's a goal of mine. It's a goal of mine to help my community. I can service my community. I can be a good human. And I can still have enough money to enjoy my life because that is important to me. So that's my next thing. I have ideas. Yeah, that's beautiful. Thank you again for sharing that. You've listened to the podcast. So you know that I always let guests ask me a question. We've gotten to know each other over the years. So this always makes it a little bit more dangerous when I open up to people that know me a little bit better. I'm always like, shoot, no, I'm just kidding. Is there anything that you want to ask? And it can be, as you know, serious. It can be related to the conversation. It can be completely out of the conversation. What do you have for me? Here's what I'm going to ask you. So I love to travel. So if you could go anywhere in the world, where would you go and why? Mm, that's a good question. And I think no, I start no money restraints, no nothing. Sure. You just get to go. Yeah. So I've not traveled internationally other than one time, which was to Italy for my honeymoon with my wife. And so we did like Rome North. One of the things when we were in Rome is I went to a soccer match that has now it's weird because I didn't play soccer growing up, but it was an AS Roma versus Napoli match and loved it. It was great. Had an old lady on the bus trying to speak to me in Italian because we rode public transit. And I'm like, I don't yeah. speak Italian. <laughs> I bought this, you know, soccer kit on the street because I wanted to go. And, and and I, you know, I did the Google search on the plane over of like, what about this team and stuff? Mm -hmm. But now it's very weird that I'm kind of one of those, like I, I watch like every match, right? I pay for the mm -hmm. thing so I can watch it. And that's something that I enjoy doing. And so for me, Italy holds a special place. So I always think about that because I do have flexibility and where and how I work of like, I would love to be able to spend more time there. Even though I don't speak mm -hmm. Italian, I don't have Italian heritage, right? Mm -hmm. um, far too pale to be Italian. <laughs> I just don't have the, <laughs> I don't have that Mediterranean uh, tan, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. But Florence, my wife and I, when we went, we spent some time in Florence, but we did a part of a day trip to go to Pisa. So Leaning mm -hmm. Tower Pisa is the only thing there. Mm -hmm. The rest of it sucked. Candidly, it mm -hmm. wasn't that. I was like, mm -hmm. we wasted our time in Florence. So I would love to go back to Florence. Yeah. I'd love to be able to go back and spend more time in Florence because it was the coolest place that I've ever been in my life. And I haven't been everywhere else. And like, there's other places I want to go, but I'm like, it was just really unique. 
I haven't traveled internationally or really a lot of places since COVID. And I know that's changed for a lot of places. So I was there in 2017, but it was magical. It was cool. Now, again, it was a certain period of time, all of that, but it was special and I loved it and uh, really enjoyed the time there. So I would love to spend more time in Italy. And I think about that quite a bit. So it's a goal Mm. to go back and I got to catch a a match when I'm there too. So, or two. Awesome. Yes, for sure. That would be my answer. Florence is on my list. I have been to parts of Italy, but Florence has not yeah. been Some where people I visited. didn't care for Rome. I loved it. I thought it was great. There's just so, so much, much history, history everywhere. Yeah, yes, so much history. And I mean, you know, where else do you see Michelangelo's finest work? In architecture that's just different and beautiful because mm-hmm. I feel like you walk around a big city. Like let's We talked about New York City earlier or Chicago, mm-hmm. closer for me, right? Mm-hmm. You feel mm-hmm. small when you're there, but a lot of it's not. But it's not old. Beautiful where you can walk by just a shop and I'm like, man, that door is just amazing. Outrageous, like it's just so right? pretty. Exactly. And you just take like random pictures of doors. So I was like, yep. I love this door. <laughs> it's I just, just so got, cool. just got back from Puerto Rico and that, my VMG meeting was there. So it was work, yeah. but I was walking around taking pictures of doors because that's just the hardware on the doors in these little places. It's beautiful. It's crazy. I have no architectural backgrounds. I can't do any of that. I have zero talent there. But when I see something, you can mm-hmm. still feel it's just beautiful beauty, and you have a yeah. different experience. And exactly. so I think when I was there, that hit me at a lot of places, not just Florence, not just in Rome, but just in oh, general, yeah. like Siena was amazing. Like there's so many different really places. Nice. And I know I could have that experience if I went somewhere other than Italy too, right? So that's my only reference point. But I think yes. about that where, you know, there's just not that. Mm-hmm. old, I'm going to use the term, and it's a Bitcoin term, so I have to get Bitcoin in here somewhere, right? But like this proof of work, like it took, right, right? I'm just kidding. I'm not going to go down that. But like this proof of work, I like it takes a long time coming. to build stuff like that. <laughs> like this was hundreds of years of people doing things and building these buildings and doing these things. And it took mm-hmm. years and we just don't do that now. Mm-hmm. And nothing that we make now is going to be here thousands yeah. of years from now because we just don't make it like they used to. That's the most beautiful thing. I mean, my my heart of hearts, I must see the pyramids. I must see how big they are and truly understand the enormity yeah. of them so, moving all of yeah. that without Well, it, it, it without. is. It's one of those things where it's, it. yeah, I, I agree. I think it'd be really cool to go see the so many other different places. Yes, that's why I have to be a veterinarian that there makes you money. You need time away. You need to be able to turn it off at times to be able to get away so that you can do your best work, right? And going back to some of the things, and one of the things I, w- I would like to do more on the podcast is getting more into the the personal and on the health side, right? Like taking care of yourself. If you're going to be a really good doctor, you have to take care of yourself physically, right? Mentally is mm-hmm. important, but physically mm-hmm. too, right? It's not something that you can just let your, your health go because you're not going to be at your best. So more to come on that. I'm trying to get some guests and I've been working on a couple for a long time that are outside of the med space that are tricky. That is, I think, the most underrated and possibly under talked about thing. I mean, there's people that have stigma about mental health in my age group and older age groups, but I make no qualms about telling people that I do therapy. I pay for it because my insurance won't pay for it because I no longer have a diagnosis. When I started going to therapy, I had some deep traumatic stress things from a situation that I went through, but to keep going for me is all about the wellness aspect. And it's all about constantly working on my mental health so that I can do my job every day because veterinarians do a very, very hard job. And the physical component, I haven't worked it out yet. I got the body by Ben and Jerry's, but you got to find whatever soothes you. And part of my wellness plan is definitely getting away. And while I love my work, it is important for me to be away from it. So handoffs. So people that want to chat with you. So the associate veterinarians that want to come to Vermont and uh, work at a fantastic real practice or those that would just want to chat more about your experiences, where, how, where do you want to send them? I am on LinkedIn. I do have my veterinary practice has a website and you can contact me through there. You can always call me. I will not give out my cell phone number, but... If you make contact with me via email and you want to talk, we will talk because that is super important to me. And I will say, you know, for all of you guys out there that are thinking I could never work in Vermont, sure, you maybe couldn't work full time, but hey, if you want to come check it out, it's a pretty cool place to be. And you can just come and hang out and relief for a day and 
we'll go from there. Yeah. It's fine. Thank you for uh, making time. I know that you're really, really busy. Yeah, this is great. I'm glad we were able to get it done. It's my pleasure. And anytime, you and I, we're visionaries. That's how we met. We met through visionaries. (laughs) So anytime we can sit down and talk about stuff in veterinary medicine or outside is cool. Appreciate it. Thank you. All right. So there are a lot of great job postings that I want to get to. And so we're going to start off with Bayside Hospital for Animals. Great work-life balance in beautiful Fort Walton Beach, Florida. No weekends, Monday to Friday, eight to five, no on-call or emergencies. It's appointment only here. Currently a two and a half doctor practice, new owner in 2021, bringing some fresh life into the hospital. The new owner had been there for six years prior working, so definitely understands the team, the processes in the community. Lots of investment in people and new equipment. ProSal is the pay structure. Far too many benefits for me to list. Email BaysideVet251 at Yahoo or call 850-864-1857. Join a thriving growing small animal practice in Vermont on the Quebec border, full-time ideal, part-time is considered. The idea is to start with yes with the team, patients and clients in outdoor woman's paradise while uh, being able to practice high-quality medicine. Compensation is write your own structure within production capabilities. Literally, it is the owner wants to find the right person and is happy to negotiate, chat through, and find the right fit. If you want autonomy and a boss that enjoys teaching, reach out to Newport Veterinary Hospital. You can email newportveterinaryhospital at gmail.com. North Central Indiana, looking for an oasis in the chaos? Who isn't, right? Come join the amazing team at Fulton County Veterinary Clinic. They strive to foster a fun, fast-paced work environment while providing quality patient care. They utilize the support staff efficiently so that the doctor is available to practice medicine and do what you're trained to do in less time and paperwork, which is great. Lots of investment in new equipment and technology to support you, full-time or part-time available. Small animal and exotics are both seen there, so no ER. No on-call, no weekends, competitive salary with sign-on bonus offered, and far too many benefits to list. Go to Fulton County Veterinary Clinic. So type that in and you'll find the job posting there. Last but not least, join Watertown Animal Hospital. Personable, small animal veterinarian wanted for well-established current five-doctor mixed animal practice in northern New York, which is an outdoors person's paradise. Again, two of those. So if you like the outdoors, you can look at Vermont or New York. They have plenty of support staff with six CSRs six licensed technicians, four animal caretakers, two technical assistants, hospital associate, or sorry, hospital assistant, a practice manager, and a bookkeeper. Focuses on mentorship and investment on the people and the technology. That's been a strategic initiative by the leadership team. No on call, a 24-hour ER less than an hour away. Salary based on experience, but no less than 95,000. Can be straight salary, pro-sal considered. Want to discuss that with the right person. Tons of benefits. Again, too much to list. Please reach out to Watertown petcare.com for that option as well. So again, if you find a role or a job or talk to anyone and it helps you in any way, I would love to hear that feedback. So please reach out, let me know what you're able to do. And I will continue to post these. So if you are an owner, reach out to me, let me know, and we'll go from there. And until I hit a capacity of, I can't keep recording these, I want to let people know who are high quality owners around the country looking for great help. So with that, we'll talk soon. Thanks for listening to today's show. The comments made on today's show should not be taken as investment, tax, or legal advice. All comments are for educational purposes only. You should talk to your professional team before implementing anything. If you want or need financial advice, my day job on Not Podcasting is helping veterinarians grow their net worth. Our team is taking new clients and we are ready to talk to you at any stage of life. Come as you are. I always say bring the mess, right? Like if things are unorganized, that's okay. There's no prerequisites to become a client. Isaiah Douglas is a partner at Vincier Wealth Management. Isaiah is a registered investment advisor registered with the SEC. The biggest compliment you can give me in the podcast is to share it with a friend. Reviews help the show get found and Apple Podcast is the platform that is predominantly used for people listening to the show. If you have three minutes, love the show, head over to Apple Podcasts, give us an honest rating and review. It helps more people find the show. Also, the new YouTube channel is up and I'd love to have you subscribe. Vainly, I want 100 subscribers at least. Lots more, obviously, right? But I get a vanity URL if we get to 100. That would be great. It makes it easier to find the YouTube channel as well. For all of today's links information, head over to the veterinariansuccesspodcast.com. There you can subscribe to your favorite podcasting platform. It'll be a link to that YouTube channel I just talked about. You won't miss any other episodes, whether you list on Spotify, whether you have some other ancillary podcast platform. 
please like, subscribe, all that stuff. It certainly does help. I appreciate it. Finally, if you want more information, insights, want your voice to be heard, want to share ideas for content, say, hey, Isaiah, I want you to have this guest. I want you to talk about this topic. Go over to the Facebook group. So you can search for the Veterinary Success Podcast on Facebook or head over to veterinariansuccesspodcast.com. Scroll to the bottom about your host, click on the Facebook icon, and that'll get you in the group. But thank you so much for listening. It means a lot to me to be able to see the podcast grow and continue to impact people. So with that, until next time, we'll chat soon.